Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, my name is Lauren Rosati. I'm the Curatorial Assistant in Modern and Contemporary Art here at the National Academy. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you all on behalf of the director, Carmen Brannigan, and the entire staff. Um, this event, the review panel, occurs once a month here in the National Academy School's Student Gallery and is organized in partnership with artcritical.com. It is generously supported by the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs and the New York State Council on the Arts. Tonight's panelists will discuss several exhibitions in galleries and museums around New York, though I encourage you all to see the exhibitions currently on view in our own museum, which includes the annual, uh, an exhibition that features 70 works by national academicians, and Seismic Shifts, 10 Visionaries in Contemporary Art and Architecture, both of which are on view through May 5th. And information on these and upcoming exhibitions and public programs are available in the lobby. But now for the review panel. So please join me in welcoming tonight's guests, as well as moderator David Cohen, publisher and editor of artcritical.com. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for foregoing a walk in Central Park on the first day of the real spring uh, for the uh, interior stimulations of the review panel. Let me, uh, let me see by a show of hands who's here at the review panel for the first time. Who's, who's um, ah, right, excellent. Lovely to see some, some new faces. Let me just, therefore, for your benefit and to refresh the memories of the rest of us, um, run through the format of what we do here at the review panel. We've had a chance to go and see four exhibitions and uh, the panel are in fact obligated to see those four exhibitions because um, after a short PowerPoint presentation of the first two shows, we will uh, uh, debate the merits and meanings of those two shows among ourselves and then open comments to the floor and then repeat the exercise. So it's simplicity itself. And the panels are recorded expertly um, and edited by Art Critical's uh, sound engineer, Graham White, for subsequent podcast um, at artcritical.com. And um, you can hear them going all the way back to the fall of 2004, when Jerry Saltz, um, Maureen Mulaki, and Ken Johnson uh, were here on the podium with me. Ken Johnson indeed returns to close the season uh, next in a couple of months' time on June the 7th, where the other guests are Eva Diaz and Chloe Rossetti. Anyhow, tonight, now is my great pleasure to introduce uh, this evening's panelists from your far right, um, only geographically, is uh, Hearn Pardee, joining us uh, from uh, the far left of the uh, United States, uh, from um, Davis, California, where he's professor at uh, UC Davis. Uh, Hearn Pardee is a painter. Uh, he uh, had his last solo exhibition uh, at his uh, at the cooperative gallery where he belongs, uh, the, the Bowery Gallery uh, in Chelsea, um, and his exhibition was written up uh, with an in-depth interview with fellow Bay Area artist Sandy Walker. Um, Martha and, and uh, Hernpardi, besides writing for Art Critical, uh, has written over the years for many journals, uh, is uh, Art in America, Art News, and currently he has a piece 
And he has a piece actually about to come out in the art journal. Uh, Martha Schwendener is a critic known to most of us in New York for her frequent contributions in the New York Times. She is also a scholar, uh, finishing up her PhD at the CUNY Graduate Center on critical theory as it relates to photography and new media, which uh, will come in greatly in handy with this evening's uh, uh, discussion, which uh, has an unusually, uncharacteristically strong bias towards new media. And on my right is uh, our fourth panelist, Elizabeth Clay, like Hearn, also an artist. Uh, she was seen recently in a group show um, at uh, Hauncher Venison Gallery, uh, Klaxons, um, where a group show that included another former review panelist, uh, the editor of the late lamented Artnet, Walter Robinson. Uh, Elizabeth is a prolific writer uh, among many journals for which she has written, including, I would proudly mention artcritical.com, and she would proudly mention Art News. So ladies and gentlemen, please uh, welcome the panel. So an, an essay in contrast would the panel not agree in, in the, the initial visual impact upon the, the retina as one uh, uh, enters these two galleries to uh, Matthew Marx in Chelsea and Salon 94 on the Bowery. It's not, uh, it's not my intention simply to offer a compare and contrast to those two shows. Uh, they really have nothing in common besides the fact that they're happening right now and we're talking about them on the review panel. But it seems to me kind of striking that uh, one is an, uh, is an installation of several individual pieces, uh, I'm talking about Sylvie Fleury, that nonetheless uh, creates this very uh, luxurious, sumptuous, in many ways, OTT kind of uh, uh, utilization of the whole space at Salon 94 itself, already a rather uh, uh, precious and uh, some would say exquisite space. Um, at Matthew Marks, there's a strange sensation, isn't there, that you go into um, a gallery where these, these objects are clearly invested with a great deal of um, um, very private meaning, uh, kinky meaning, um, intimacy. It's about um, whatever the show is about. At, at a certain level, uh, themes there um, seem to be... Uh, uh, quite um, personal, private, in, interior-ish. And, and, and it's in that very um, uh, quintessential white cube, sterile, sterile kind of space of uh, uh, Matthew Marx. Um, did you feel any kind of frisson of discrepancy, Martha, between uh, the kind of uh, the aesthetic experiences that Blake was uh, attempting to trigger with his works and the, the environment in which, in which one is to have those experiences? Can I answer a different question? Um, well, it's America. You can plead the fifth, but um, it, it's, you'll, yeah, have to, you'll have to square it with your conscience as I to whether just, that's... I'm going to square I just wanted to square it with you first. But I actually, when you showed the two together, I was going to say they don't have anything in common. Seeing them together, I was sort of thinking uptown, downtown. Do you want me to lean in a little? Okay. Um, I was kind of thinking, I mean, in particularly the way I saw these was in uptown and downtown. Um, but seeing those two together, uh, I thought 
they kind of actually did have a lot of similarities, although hers is very sort of colorful and French, but most in the way that they really lean, they both lean really heavily on art history, you know, so hers has this whole sort of like uh, Danielle Buren, Carl Andre, uh, Victor Vezzarelli, however you say his Vezzarelli, name. Vezzarelli, yes, I can't yes. remember how to say his name. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Nayland Blake, which has these kind of like the one that with the stool, it's obviously a kind of, you know, play on Duchamp. And uh, these kind of Dan Graham pavilion things and the boxes and the sort of play with minimalism. Um, in terms of the space itself, I mean, one of the things that I did find out when I saw the Nayland Blake, to go a little closer to your question, is that he actually made all the works in the space. So, um, and it was, uh, they are objects that he'd collected over time. So they have a very sort of, um, and they were trying to point out, um, one of the people I was speaking with there, that he was really trying to kind of sort of play around with this idea of site specificity. Um, the white cubeness, I don't know, that's something I grew up with. Also, this this image, of the, that's actually a self-portrait of him in the kind of full um, leather regalia in terms of trying to connect it with a sort of site specificity uh, that, you know, there used to be all leather bar- bars on that side of Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And um, I did actually have <laughs> a chance, like, sort of a weird thing, but, you know, what art critics used to do. So I was having a drink with someone, they were like, come on, you could just come with us to this leather bar. And then you're like, inside, you're like, no, I don't belong here. So I have actually set foot in one of those for about 30 seconds. But so there was a kind of site, I mean, for me, it wasn't as disconnected. I do remember Chelsea before, uh, you know, these spaces were all white right. cube spaces. Well, of course, if one's talking about art historical references, it would be uh, a sort of um, a double entendre of sorts. But um, it's the, the funny thing for me is that uh, Elizabeth, uh, seeing uh, seeing the artist in his uh, uh, leather cap and, and uh, uh, harness, um, kind of once once one is ready to see art historical references with Duchamp and Dan Graham. It's one think, ah, oh, this is uh, Robert Morris advertising his mm-hmm. show in the same issue of Art Forum as yep. the notorious Linda Bengalis uh, uh, advertisement. But uh, that would be, I think, putting the cart before the cart horse uh, because Morris was obviously uh, tapping into an iconography which, in the case of uh, Blake, has greater authenticity or, uh, what did you make of the show and 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 how did you how did you feel in the space where you were seeing the show I liked it a lot the space I thought it was really refreshing to see a show in a nice beautiful white cube that wasn't too big and I thought he um, handled the space beautifully I especially liked the uh, way he used the uh, bathroom of the gallery, mm-hmm. you know, merely by putting that, opening the door and putting that red plastic sheet, it, you know, just completely referred to Duchamp, and yet it, um, you know, it was completely sort of red light district, and all there was was the regular bathroom that had some cans of paint and some catalogs and stuff on the shelf. And I also have to say that I have experience of leather bars, and... <laughs> I was once at pig night at the Lure for a great deal longer than a few minutes, so. <laughs> Mine was at the mine shaft. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, that was... <laughs> um, not going to tell you where mine was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I uh, uh, of course, uh, one doesn't have to be an aficionado to also savor the, 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 the uh, 
the leather or rubber padding of the door leading into the into the bathroom has a kind of uh, torture chamber um, mm. um, um, association uh, with it. Um, um, Hearn, of course, you're no stranger coming from the West Coast to all these uh, <laughs> antics. But uh, um, any any thoughts so far on 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 Nayland Blake? What do you make of it? Well, I, I also liked it a lot in terms of the way that uh, I think that's good. What Elizabeth said about the intimacy of the space and the way it fit with his sort of autobiographical approach. And uh, I was struck too by the way that he used the bathroom, but then also setting up that big kind of. Uh, you know, the Dan Graham sort of thing where it was a compartment but also with a mirror inside. So it was, uh, you know, kind of this uh, bifurcated self-portrait and uh, with allusions to Duchamp and everything in there. And uh, then the, the horizontal sort of bar with the uh, golf pictures on it. Uh, everything seemed to have a nice formal connection to it. And uh, and then moving out with the, the flag piece that kind of brought the political and uh, I guess there's something to it, a little bit of the... The, the stuffed animal that has kind of a hood, like it's an interrogation sort of uh, chamber at the same time that, uh, you know, it enlarges this, his identity in relation to larger social political concerns. Yes, yeah. So do we, um, do we pick up between this, the personal and the political, do we, um, uh, how, how, does, how does the work actually work? I mean, how, um, uh, I kind of, don't quite know how it works. I mean, what, mm. what, well, I can see the ingredients and I can uh, savor some intensity in their uh, coming together. Um, uh, but uh, in a way, sort of, uh, if you're reading a poem, for instance, um, knowing where the references are and, under, and, and beginning to work out what the structure is, isn't the same thing as having an experience of the poem. So could, could, could one of you talk me through... Uh, uh, the, the the kind of pleasures one should be savoring. I mean, Martha, is there is there a particular piece that stands out to you as a as as one that one could talk us through? Um, well, I think um, let's see. Sorry, I have to have sure. notes. I'm kind of you know overloaded here. There's one called Buddy Buddy Buddy, which is the one that's um, I don't know if it's bisected, but it seems like it with mirrors, and then there all these little stuffed animals on one side that are shaped into a beard. So that's sort of a significant thing of, oh, because there's this whole reference to, you know, like bear culture and mm -hmm. et cetera, and, um, in, you know, whatever gay culture. Um, and then on the other side, there are bears with, um, there's a little plastic bag over it. And then there's a kind of sort of a, a Robert Indiana love thing, but it's only kind of half scrawled on it. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the pleasures of it, I mean, I think that it has a kind of um, lightheartedness and humor. I mean, part of it is for me, you know, individually, when I came to New York, I was right on the cusp of what I've read before. I mean, I have a lot, you know, I'm I'm straight, but I lived with all gay men, you know, when I first um, moved to New York in the 80s. And there was a real switchover, um, particularly during, um, you know, the what's been called the AIDS crisis, even though there's still an AIDS crisis in other parts of the world. But um, there was a very big difference between my generation of people where coming out as a gay man was a sort of liberatory thing, and people would put up their arrest records having to do with ACT UP and whatever. I mean, it was it was a sort of celebration. And for an older generation, which is sort of Nayland Blake, just a little bit older, for many people, 
um, it was a kind of, at least as I've read, I'm not saying this is a uniform thing, but that coming out was a kind of not so positive experience that you now realized we are gonna be part of this sort of like oppressed group of people. So I think for me, seeing a lot of this work, and that work in particular, it's got a lot of humor, it's got all these references um, to uh, you know gay, if you want to call it sex subculture or something like that, but it's also you know inhabiting the minimal box and uh, you know minimalism was completely straight and macho from my perspective. Maybe somebody can you know correct me. So I see it alongside someone like Tom Burr, but that was very slick, kind of even more sort of like tasteful formalist work, and I like his work as well. But um, this one. I just think it, you know, it has all these details that have a lot of humor and um, a word that we don't like to use, humanity, in a sense. <laughs> but it's a, it's a very sort of like humanizing and personalizing pro, um, project in the sense also of minimalism was this idea of sort of, again, from my perspective, kind of um, democratizing the object by making it less personal. This is sort of reversing it. That's my take. Yeah, right. That's a, that's that's great. That's a but still, if you don't mind me saying, I mean, I learned a lot from that, and thanks a lot. But it's a it's a kind of metacritical overview, uh, and and a very I think a very a very good reading. Um, but it's not a sort of close reading, is it, Elizabeth? Is is there uh, are, are there objects there that come together for you that um, that could could describe a kind of uh, what where where, where do, it's, it, it doesn't seem to me like a, a, a whimsical or quirky kind of um, collage aesthetic, but nor does it seem to have a, a, a strong, fierce... I mean, for instance, uh, another artist who foregrounds his sexuality in, in um, installations that one we're familiar with seeing at Matthew Mark's gallery, uh, Robert Gober, uh, a totally different kind of artist. But you're, uh, while there's always ambivalence and intrigue in the work of Gober, um, there's, there's equally um, a very strong kind of authoritative thrust of where, where this work is taking us. Um, Blake, obviously, uh, kind of more, more whimsical, right? Um, um, more quirky and personal, but, um, do, do the, the, but, but this is no Joseph Cornell. So um, where do we go? What do we, what do we really get from this? Well, I wouldn't call it whimsical at all. I think it's, um, there are a lot of references in the work, for example, to the fact that his father was black so that he's biracial. And um, I was reading uh, a few quotes from him and um, I think the work uh, also goes back to an earlier body of work that he did, which was called the Restraint Series. And there was one where he took a broyer chair and he um, hung various S&M, like handcuffs and things like that, from it. And he said that the actual, that he was struck by the uh, fact that S&M equipment and um, high uh, modernist design used the same materials. And he also said that um, he, to him, the real sculpture was not the object itself, but the idea that the viewer would find in their head, imagining themselves inside this sculpture. And so, you know, to me, when I see these, I think his work is a lot about, and he also said that his sexual interests, which, you know, are clearly like bears and S&M and eating a lot. And he said that he feels that they have a lot to do with um, internalized racism and you know dealing with his, his heritage. 
And so I, I see this work a lot as coming out of you know these these concerns and the little chains that he had in the um, the black one that's called uh, Spirit of '69. They're kind of refer to you know chains binding people together, S and M, and um, also to slavery chains. And then there was the little piece of, um, you know, which was an appropriation of the Robert Indiana sculpture, Love, which you found in a couple of the works where he made a little version that was black metal and heavy and, you know, kind of giving it a twist. And I found um, that the, uh, the, the idea of the pavilions you know, the, the, they're more like shower stalls or bathrooms, I think. And they could mm -hmm. also be museum uh, display yes. cases. But they, um, I think they also relate to medicine, you know, and illness and hospitals and that kind of thing. And I, if you noticed also that there were, they all had little glory holes around crotch high, you know, mm -hmm. so there was that as well. Yes, certainly very multifunctional, yeah. Excellent, um, but 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 as you uh, not not in any way to trivialise the fact that you yeah you're you're pointing out that it's multi-layered and um, going back and forth between these uh, um, sort of furtive pleasures and 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 senses of uh, um, protest or or not so much protest but 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 claiming the meanings of various histories which are um, of by nature and of necessity, kind of um, covert or repressed histories. Is that is that what came across for you, Han? Was it, uh, yeah, did, you, well, did it require a little bit of a glossary to get through it then? The well, I, I, I was calling up a lot of references and you know things I thought about, but um, I was I was just struck. I mean, beginning with the name, you know, what want ring, you know, the way he reverses yes. and plays with the letters. It's a it's about that idea of identity being born. If you're biracial and 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 not heterosexual, you you don't fit. Uh, your your inner identity is as soon as you get into the symbolic level of of language and and culture, you you don't have a place. You don't you don't have a, a core identity. And I think the um, you know I like the the big thing with the photographs and then this kind of soft pink thing kind of sandwiched in between. Like there's the veneer of the facade of the photograph presenting oneself and then this soft interior, uh, you know, the wordless sort of feeling and then, and, uh, you know, the softness of the bear and the idea that there's this kind of, uh, you know, a primitive sort of sense. But then the bear is associated with the mirror. So, you know, I was struck by the fact that we look at ourselves when we look in there too. The viewer is incorporated into the piece. and. And you know, when you get into the center of yourself, you see, well, like you get into Lacan or something about mirror stages and, and uh, an alienation kind of at the very center of your, of your most personal uh, feelings. And uh, so that was kind of, I was kind of following that idea around. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So, um, and of course the, the uh, well, not of course, but one sees from, from his photograph and from um, previous catalogues of his work and also having met him that uh, um, it comes as some surprise to some of his friends that he, because he's so, uh, he, he is, it's not immediately visually apparent upon meeting uh, Nayland Blake that he is of African-American uh, descent. So it must feel therefore a sudden displacement even from the displaced as it were. Um, so that might account for the 
initially difficult, slow read one has of these things. It, it, would, am I alone in having a slow, a slow read of them, or do, do, are, are, were, you, were the rest of the panelists, were other panelists um, immediately and obviously struck by what was going on, or is it, is it a kind of slow read art? I think your read is slower than ours. Okay. <laughs> I knew the work. I, say, I've written about it I sort of felt yeah. a little bit... I, you know, comfortable isn't a very good word, but I, you know, it's not coming from a place that I don't understand necessarily. Right. Okay. Good. Well, perhaps we'll be a little more uniformly perplexed um, by <laughs> uh, Sylvie uh, Fleury um, at uh, Salon Ninety Four. Uh, certainly, to the um, to the to the leather and the. S and M. Well, there are bars here as well, and the bars are being bent, but uh, they are literally and metaphorically golden bars. Um, yeah, uh, as Martha has already picked up uh, on uh, what I think even I immediately picked up on, and uh, the press release helps you to pick up on, uh, which is the uh, uh, the references, no doubt, witty and deconstructive to uh, the great male masters of a certain kind of conceptual and minimal art, the Carl-André tile piece on the floor, the Daniel Buren, the stripes repeated around, the, uh, the neon lights also kind of referencing uh, um, any number of uh, uh, neonists among uh, the modern canon, from uh, uh, Flavin to Nauman, et cetera. Um, and uh, uh, does this, uh, wait, what does this all add up to, uh, um, uh, Hearn? Um, do, you, do you have a, a take on Fleury? Well, I guess the take that I uh, came up with uh, after thinking about it a bit was that this is sort of a, maybe a sort of European feminist uh, critique uh, where um, it's, it's not, uh, it's sort of a, an acceptance of a certain commodification of the female body, uh, but also a kind of poking at, uh, at the austerity of these male American artists who have to set up their idea of art which represses sensuality and, uh, mm. and commercial uh, allure and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. A sort of a, a, a post-feminist view then? Uh, post-minimalist. Right. <laughs> Another kind of post-minimalism coming from a sort of European uh, perspective, although she's kind of, well, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I'm, it's I don't know if I should venture into that territory, but I'm yeah. going to say something anyway. Well, we have, we have some... <laughs> Maybe, uh, well, we have two women on the panel, so uh, we could ask uh, if, if there's a feminist agenda that's evident and obvious in the work. You uh, can do the feminist agenda. I could do. Yeah. <laughs> if you could be gay, I could be a feminist. Well, I, but it so happens I am a feminist. So, okay, good. Uh, good. Yeah, but uh, I, apart from the high-heeled shoes, I didn't get any strongly feminist messages, and I'm not, I, you know, I think, I think we, we all know enough feminists in high heels these days to, to know that we're in a, enough of a post-feminist territory that, that's, that's, that, that really we're not dealing with necessarily uh, a feminist agenda here. I don't, I don't really get the sense in the show of any agenda uh, as such. Um, it, seemed, um, it seemed fun. It seemed like good interior decor. Uh, I was kind of more interested in the... Uh, I thought the, the, the most interesting pieces, I mean, the blade, I thought, was quite <laughs> stunning. Yes. Um, but I think probably the most interesting work, in a way, were those uh, crash tests. Um, so you've got this um, uh, sort of John McCracken being referenced in these, uh, you know, the, the Californian minimal artist who uh, loved surfaces which were akin to the, the, the gloss and the sheen of uh, uh, the, the aluminum of, uh, the, 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 of the steel of the motor car and of the automobile industry. Um, 
and then a little expressive edge is given by the fact that they're, they've, they're, they're panels that have perhaps uh, been used in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a test of some sort of crash. But uh, um, did that give any enough edge to give to, to put to, to set the the piece alight um, for you, Martha? Uh, no. I thought this was a very slick show and not a lot of substance for me. I agree with you. My favorite um, piece inside was the blade. Um, and then I liked the video outside on the street, which was, I guess, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years old, maybe, 15, maybe 1993. It's a video um, that only shows, I don't know, from the sort of like calf area down of people walking on a Carl Andre. Um, I don't know, something about that seemed a little bit more, I mean, it was still a little bit slight as a work. Um, I was, you know, I mean, you know, when we were sort of deciding what to do, I mean, I was, you know, interested in seeing this show because it's her first show here, I think, in 10 years or something like that. But it just, um, it's very colorful, you know, very stylish. But I just felt like all the gestures were really kind of slight. So... That's kind of what I felt about it. Any any big strong meanings to 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 suggest to Martha that she might go back and have another look, Elizabeth? <laughs> well, I think it was supposed to be slight. I mean, I think that's her aesthetic. That's her thing. She wants to be superficial and um, reflect the idea of fashion and 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 uh, consumer seduction. I think I think that's what she's interested in. Right. So, um, so it's ironic to then bring a pop aesthetic back to minimal when, when uh -huh. minimal was uh, co uh, sort of sharing the 60s with, with pop and, and in some ways moving beyond it. So um, um, that doesn't sound therefore like a, a, I mean, one can be superficial and yet tap into some, one can deal with the surface and tap into something profound. It sounds yeah. like this artist merely, it doesn't penetrate the surface. It's just surface? Well, emptiness, I mean, is profound, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's a sort of J.G. Ballard um, yeah. territory. I, mean, I of, think there are a whole lot of artists that are interested in that, you know. Yes. Kind of. Well, there's a kind of uncanny in fashion, too. Did you, re you really liked the show? Or? I liked it, yeah. Uh, I mean, oh, good, I don't good. Know That's what we want to hear. Yes. You know, Tell us why. Put it on my top ten list, but I uh, you oh, know, okay. hobbled down those stairs with my boot, and I sat myself down in the director's <laughs> chair because nobody else was there. And, you know, I looked around, and I enjoyed I thought, I just like the idea of, you know, somebody walking around on high, in high heels on the fake Carl Andre. I thought that was fun. Yeah, and uh, the shoes were quite beautiful. I mean, if you thought about the color combinations, and the razor blade was incredible. And, yeah, I liked it. I mean, Good. you know, Good. I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't feel it's necessary to condemn it for being slick. Quite right. I mean, slick. we don't condemn things but for being grubby, so why yeah. should we condemn things for being slick? <laughs> I mean, uh, um, uh, Hearn, uh, one more possible art history reference, the, the oversized uh, razor blade uh, puts me in mind now, I suddenly realize of Magritte and that uh, room where you have the that's uh, true. Yeah, that's uh, shaving brush as well. Yeah. They could be brought together in some way, but Magritte, uh, I agree. There's uh, never any shortage of the uncanny. Um, <laughs> is there uncanny in uh, Sylvie Fleury, or is, are we on um, 
very, very familiar territory. I mean, what, what's, what, what's going on there? Well, I thought it was uncanny. I thought the, uh, the total environment there, and especially going down the stairs, it was kind of a, you know, uh, striking environment. And um, talking about superficiality, well, I mean, the razor blade may be all superficial. It was all surface, and yet through it, you see the surface of the wall and the, uh, the reflections of the wall on the other side. And I think for superficiality, she got a great deal of layers mm. out of superficiality in, in, in one thing. But just going back to what Martha said, I was struck too. I, I was looking on the web and I saw that that piece had been in an earlier installation. And I'm, I'm wondering just about recycling the uh, the Carl Andre thing again. You know, is there a, I mean, she's recycling her own work as well as the work of the minimalists and kind of, um, that, that, that tends to give you a little, uh, another suggestion of a kind of superficiality, I guess. Is there, is this gonna develop or is this just what it is? And um, it may just be that, uh we in New York are not worthy of uh, uh, best and newest and most uh, original work. I mean, uh, the poor thing, if she only knew she was going to be subjected to the review panel with four, yeah. uh, four pairs of uh, astute critical eyes on her work, she'd have maybe pulled out her... her, her, her um, she'd have given us a Felix, uh, some Gonzalez Torres sweets to take home, and then that would have been um, a much more profound work. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah, I, I thought it was great interior decor, but when you yeah. start with the uh, Salon 94, Gary, you, you have to be a genius to, to make uh, poor interior decor. I mean, it's such a, such a stunning space anyway, and the, the stairs, I mean, you just, if you just walked up and down those stairs, you'd be having an aesthetic experience. Um, <laughs> not of the same order as going to Salon 94 on 94th Street with their staircase, but uh, yeah, it's the, it's the staircase gallery. Um, but uh, I... Yeah, it just seemed, um, it was all dressed up. I was, I was wanting it to go somewhere, um, but uh, ready for it to go somewhere, but I um, didn't get it, so I'm kind of waiting for the panelists to really uh, illuminate it for me. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to hold out some hope by turning the mic over to the audience, if there's anybody. We have a roving mic, and we have two shows to address, Nayland Blake, uh, and Sylvie Fleury, uh, and maybe we have the phenomenon of the of whatever, if there is a singular phenomenon, that those two shows uh, in some way encapsulate in their commonalities, their takes on art history, um, their uh, uh, and the issues of gender or identity that they bring to to their materials. So um, either show, um, uh, any comments? Yes, great, good. May I actually ask a question? Absolutely. I never heard of bear culture before. I don't know what it is. Could someone possibly comment a little bit on that, what it's about? It's like I, big guys with beards. Uh, yeah. You know, kind big of lumberjack guys. It's the guys with who uh, don't want to shave their chest and yeah. grow the pecs. <laughs> They've developed an alternative culture to justify keeping okay. the bear gut and nice not, not bellies, shaving. Nice yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a, some... Hairy, too. Hairy. Yeah. Hairy is... Okay. Hairy. Well, Absolutely. Beards and, and stuff. Just, and just to comment a little bit on that, one of my problems uh, with the show was that it seemed like that it took so much uh, information. I mean, it, you needed so much information going into it to understand it. I understand it much better now, but looking at it, it looked like to me... Well, here's another installation that I've seen many times before, but I mean in different varieties, but 
I just didn't get it because I didn't have the background for it. And I, I was thinking about this as I was walking. I was going to say, somebody's going to say, you have to know too much about da, da 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 And so I was walking by a movie theater, and I was thinking, because this is kind of one of the big arguments with you know contemporary art. Oh, well, you have to know art history, and you have to know all this and that and whatever, although there's quite a bit of information on the press release. you know. So um, the thing is, I was thinking as I was walking past a movie theater, I mean, there's very little culture that we actually approach just completely blind. Like, you don't go to the movie theater and say, I know absolutely nothing about that movie title, and I'm going to go see that movie, you know? You generally tend to know, oh, it's the film with the blob, whoever, actress, or you've read a review or something like that. So I think, um, I was kind of thinking about that because both of these, the other thing is that both of these shows are the other, one of the big charges now is that people are so... Um, you know, that the sort of recycling is hit. It's beyond postmodern pastiche. It's just like a complete recycling of references and that that's, you know, one of the downfalls of, of contemporary art or that it is a sort of personalized narrative or something like that. So um, I don't know. I think that uh, I'm getting more and more used to contemporary art working on multiple registers, and so there might be a way in which, you know, it's uh, yeah yeah people are going to have different levels of information and also investigate as much as they want i think so yeah there's some so, some shows that demand that you go and do some homework to get more out of it and then there are other shows that um you, you need some kind of guide to even begin to get anything out of and also there are some shows uh you know there are some activities where the culture, it, it, it always struck me as amusing when I wrote for a newspaper that they, they'd say, uh, look, when you start, when you write your first piece for newspapers, uh, we don't want to patronize any of our uh, readers. You can't assume art historical knowledge and you can't, um, you've got to explain who the major artists are and you've got to explain what the kind of terms, if somebody's taking on minimalism like Sylvie Fleury or, 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 or Nayland Blake, You've got to first tell the audience what minimal art was, and then you've got to tell them how and why they're taking it on. And um, I thought, well, that's all perfectly reasonable, but you turn the page, turn three pages forward in the newspaper and come to a write-up on the latest ball game, and, um, you know, you don't... There's nothing in... I don't know the rules of baseball, but I, I don't expect the critic to give it to me every time, or the, the commentator <laughs> to give it to me every time I read... Not that I ever do the uh, uh, write up on the game. So it's it's curious that there are these different layers. But I, I my sympathies are nonetheless with the the questioner because um, it seems to me, uh, and this is not a critique of Nayland Blake because I, I I think he in a way kind of does it. But I think that um, all kinds of artists come from all kinds of different places and cultures and preoccupations that have within them uh, varying degrees of. Uh, uh, code um, uh, or, or history um, or, um, uh, and rules um, and that um, in a way the work simply has to be compelling enough to lure you in uh, and work out what the code is um, in a way. So, And also it can work, I mean, uh, great, great works of art that deal with arcane, I mean, if you go to see the magic flute, uh, you could say, before you go to the magic flute, uh, here, here's 100 pages you need to read about Freemasonry, Freemasonry and politics in 18th century Vienna. Okay, Or you can just go and listen to some very nice tunes and watch a funny story. <laughs> so, I mean, um, is, 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 
what was your experience with Blake? Was it, did, well, you're telling us that the experience is that there was no, there was no... Um, right, right. I, I mean, uh, maybe, I guess I did not do a, enough homework, but to, even though I would agree that the Flurry show was somewhat superficial, it wasn't so highly, to me, personal. I mean, you got the references to Andre and to Buran and all of that, so that was much easier to sort of deal with, at least for me, whereas with uh, the other artists, I just sort of felt, well, there's a lot of information that I would need to go back and read and study mm. before I would really be able to, to get this. All right, fair enough. Thank you very much. Great. Any other comments on either Blake or Fleury? Yes, good. Uh, a question. The two panelists on the ends both use the word intimate with regard to Blake. And I wondered if you could say what, how you found it intimate, if you experienced it intimately, or if you found it an expression of intimacy. I, felt, I found more an ex, a, um, a presentation of a world with the, which the gallery guide helped me a lot to uh, unravel. But could you talk about the intimacy aspect of it? Hmm. Well, I guess I was, I was just picking up on the idea that it wasn't an overwhelmingly huge space, and that it was a space where one could present oneself in these multiple forms that interacted and, and created a kind of um, you know inter interior dialogue. And then now I was thinking too about the you know the central cabinet with the mirrors where it did seem to, to draw you in into the you know the the children's toys and the uh, the stuffed animal and the kind of um, you know that's you know what I would call kind of intimacy I guess. Uh, of course, uh, with, with Sharepkin, uh, sorry, Sharepnin. With Sharepnin, uh, point hardly worthy of mention, but uh, seeing in silence some stills of uh, objects that are literally vibrating and making uh, extreme and strange noises, um, and of course a video, uh, is to take away the, uh, the essential dimensions of of, of that experience. Uh, uh, so, um, our token painter of the evening, as uh, Nayland, um, uh, uh, Matt Bollinger with his exhibition, uh, Bed on the Floor. Um, um, Elizabeth. Um, some themes nonetheless picking up with one or two, maybe, of, of, of with, with perhaps with uh, well, I don't know the, the themes that pick up with Nayland Blake, but I'm, I'm sure Nayland Blake would welcome some of the characters, uh, not bearish enough perhaps, but some of, the, uh, some of the characters in Bollinger's show might stray into Blake's world. Um, what, do you, what do you make of uh, Bollinger's world? Uh, I felt that this was the least successful show of the four. Um, somehow, to me, the elements did not mesh. I mean, he was trying to... Um, give you, I think, a romanticized version of the adolescent fantasy of being, basically being a bum and, you know, hitchhiking or traveling aimlessly across the country, drinking and smoking and, you know, but, I mean, there were interesting things about the work. I thought it was very interesting. The, the technique is quite elaborate of it was all uh, cut and pasted uh, and torn pieces of paper that from a distance, the, the works on paper, they looked like they had just been painted 
directly, but actually what he did was he painted very loosely on paper, different colored papers, and then he assembled them to make the images. Sometimes, and, and sometimes the, the face would kind of dissolve and, and look like it had been re very roughly done. But there would be another moment where he would have a, um, a spiral notebook and he would have carefully cut out every spiral and every little line across the page and pasted it on. Um, and so it was an interesting combination of looseness and you know preciseness. And um, the same thing, dichotomy was set up by the uh, installation of the, the, the sculpture, which was supposed to be some cruddy homeless shelter like cobbled together to sleep overnight, you know, with a, a tarp over one's head and an overturned shopping cart. And they were actually, everything was beautified, like the dirt had glitter on it. The uh, wire fence was all made out of fabric with little beads, so it looked like metal. The, the entire uh, um, shopping cart was made of paper mache, so it was, again, you know, something that was supposed to be rough and tumble was actually incredibly labor intensive. And even the handwriting on the um, texts in the little room was laser cut, but it was all glued on. So, you know, in that, that was interesting, but somehow for me, the fact that he needed to have the, um, the sculpture, the paintings, and the texts meant that none of them were completely, were enough. I mean, I would have rather just seen the paintings and have them be more complex and have more things going on, but they needed to have, you know, a sculpture. Mm -hmm. So, and I just, you know, some of the poetry or the, the writing was also quite poignant, but to me it didn't, and maybe it was also the space, I mean, that's the least, of the four spaces, it's the, probably the hardest to install in. Okay, right. Well, that's uh, that's definitely food for thought there. I, I um, um, let's try to first of all, I think um, uh, Hearn and, and Martha um, work out where the um, the emotional territory um, and the, the subject matter of this exhibition really lies, and then let's address the the problems that Elizabeth uh, raises with the uh, discrepancy between. Um, the thematics and the uh, the mode of execution. Um, um, uh, Hearn, what what is the, what is his world? What is he describing to us? Well, I agree. I mean, it's, it's a kind of post-adolescent nomadic existence of the road trip, kind of you know Jack Kerouac or something taking off. And uh, I was less impressed with that as I looked at it more, and I began to understand how he made those uh, the the texts, the written notebooks, and the fact that he had gone through so many levels of of inventing a handwriting and then transcribing that through a laser printer and then gluing it down. Uh, it became almost, you know, at a, at a time when we have so many people painting abstractly, here's somebody who's totally obsessed with depicting things and mm -hmm. how to represent them. And uh, the layering of the different codes that he went through with the, you know, the reproduction of, the, of those journals uh, became to me almost, the, the subject was almost about uh, depicting things and, and a story as a depicted thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Perhaps I'm over-intellectualizing the, the thing. Well, no, I mean the fact that the... Uh, or perhaps I wasn't that the, interested in the uh -huh. actual story, but uh -huh. that was... Uh -huh. the, <laughs> the, the collage element, um, um, it, it um, intrigues me to be using collage uh, when one isn't, um, it, it doesn't really bring, uh, I mean collage usually one uses collage to destabilize um, 
uh, a reading of a subject or else to enrich a subject by bringing um, a different language visually or a different world referentially uh, to, to, the, to the image. Um, so it therefore, I couldn't personally get a handle. I liked the feel and look of the, um, I think his handling of, of space was, was, was good and uh, the figures were a sort of, um, uh, had a compelling sweetness for me, some of, the, some of the adolescent figures, but I wasn't quite sure why they needed to be collage. Um, uh, did, but but I'd still like to try to get. Uh, did you, do you feel that there's something about? Is there is there some um, connection then between uh, Martha the um, the uh, fracturedness or preciousness of youth and and the the materials that he's using? Um, I don't know if I can answer that question directly. I mean, if I can just sort of back up, this feels like student work to me, and I teach in an art school now, so um, I, that is a very empty thing to say sometimes when you say, oh, it feels like student work, you know, but I do, you know, three hours of crits every week, and I did them yesterday, and I really, you start to have a little bit understanding of when something's resolved and when something's not. Um, what I did notice when we were just looking at this, and this is one of these phenomenon that many people have pointed out, is the work looks better in reproduction than it does in person. It looks much more um, resolved, I guess you would say. The other thing is my favorite room was the, the um, room with the text pieces. I mean, I'm sort of a sucker for that because I am a writer and I also, you know, I mean, you know, hardcore. I went to an MFA program in fiction. I really like writing, but I didn't think the poetry was very good. And, um, you know, across the street right now at the new museum, there's that 1993 show with the grid of Sean Landers writing on um, uh, yellow legal paper, which, you know, those are really kind of captivating texts, some of those. Whereas trying to stand in front of these, okay, there's, it's different. It's a painting. He's sort of reproducing the same idea of legal pads with writing on them. But I sort of just didn't, it didn't really do anything for me in terms of the text. There were a couple of lines that were sort of interesting, but for the most part, it's bad writing and it's not great painting. And so I, I, it's kind of harsh, but I, I completely agree with Elizabeth that it's the, the weakest show. You want a, a little bit more why, I don't know, you know, why does it need to be collage? The, the whole thing, there's a lot of sort of, um, the other thing that's interesting is that I think the work and it's true about that space, but if he'd reversed it and at least put the text pieces up front, maybe I would have sort of been drawn in. Instead, the whole thing seemed like a sort of like, kind of, um, I don't know, sort of provisional in the adolescence of the work and the what it was, I guess, sort of discussing. I mean, a kind of like homeless adolescent is a, I don't know, it just didn't really make much sense to me. Oh, and I wanna say that the, uh, the other thing is, I mean, we've seen so much of this sort of like painstakingly fabricated um, paper mache stuff, you know, of which someone like Valerie Haggerty is kind of the um, sort of young master of that. Um, this, you know, I just said, oh, okay, so there's, there you go, some more paper mache, but. Um, sorry, that doesn't sound very nice, but I was—I knew I was going to not be very nice about this show. So, well, that—that's uh, you know, it's the, the world and the artists need to hear it if if people aren't uh, getting the work yet. Um, uh, I, I would stick by my feeling that there's some positive uh, energy in here. Uh, I sort of—I guess I'm playing a little bit 
the angel's advocate because um, of the uh, uh, somebody has to stick up for a show on a panel, otherwise the panel gets boring. Um, the truth is, however, I have problems too with, with, <laughs> with this show. Um, um, and I, I was hoping someone would really love it and I could uh, uh, tease them out on it. Do you want me to say something more positive? Yeah, go on, I, uh, go on. Be the straw man, please. <laughs> well, I just felt, uh, you know, looking at, at I was suspicious of the amount of craft involved in it. I'm saying, was this mm. just good? Could I see these as a cover of The New Yorker, you know, or something? But mm. uh, but I really feel like he, he does have kind of a, it's more of a filmic imagination. And, yes. and you know, in movies you see, you know, text journals shown mm -hmm. and things like that and and the way he would choose light sources like the uh, the computer you know being the mm -hmm. light source or that light on the end of the woman's cigarette uh, things like that they, they were not the obvious sort of things you know it took some visual mm -hmm. no, imagination I, uh, to yeah. do that and and so I felt um, you know I, I would not trash the show I would think no no so, I, I, I feel that, that, that he's he, he has a real subject uh, one and he has a physical imagination I, I feel the fact sure isn't isn't coming to meet those. Uh, What's the subject, two. though? The subject is alienated youth in <laughs> suburban America. It's a profoundly original subject. I don't think anyone's dealt, dealt with that one yet. So let's give it for a hand for Matt Bollinger on that front. No, uh, when I saw there's a show that David Humphrey curated in the same space. And by the way, I would take issue with the notion of the space being in any way problematic because uh, that, that gallery's been the site of some magnificent exhibitions, including two of Marc de Grandchamp, one of the leading European. Um, figurative painters right now and also it used to be uh, Joel Shapiro's studio and he produced most of his great early work in that very space so that's not I'm afraid I'm afraid Mr. Bollinger can't blame the space and nor nor, nor <laughs> should we um, but um, uh, the the, uh, the 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 subject yeah well it just doesn't uh, really I, I have seen a show in that space uh, curated by David Humphrey, uh, that first introduced the work of Bollinger in a group show with richer themes bouncing around. Um, and um, in that work, uh, a huge drawing of, of Bollinger's of uh, a Boy Scout uh, or, um, really had a kind of iconic and commanding presence, which made me very excited to see that he was being given his uh, yeah, I think first in his earlier show. work he was dealing more with the high school level, and now he's moving right. up to yes. Maybe um, he should stay with high school because uh, one <laughs> one thought I had looking at that was thinking of the work of Catherine Murphy, who has also made incredible Absolute, paintings yes. of, of yes. you know, things drawn on bathroom mirrors and stuff like that. And, and there's a kind of autobiographical sometimes connection among her works too. And so, but well, uh, that might be a different level. I don't unfortunately, know. for I mean Bollinger. Okay, yes, the tortured adolescent is. Uh, a very familiar territory, but I, where for me I got particularly uncomfortable with the show is precisely because when you go to Murphy showing down the road, um, or if you go to Josephine Halverson um, obsessing about the overlooked and constructing sort of incredible portraits of um, uh, sort of weird and tacky things out there that, that have their, without being surrealist, but just actually uh, finding, exploiting, obsessing over and bringing into a, a compelling realist world uh, um, uh, the, the, the oddities of uh, uh, life out in the burbs or the uh, burrows, then uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I, I, I feel that maybe you know it's it you know he's in he's in familiar territory or very big 
strange territory where some real command of, of means is required. Well, um, if I can just break in one second. Yes. The, the, the problem also, I saw um, Rochelle Feinstein's show right after that, and so then you sort of have that feeling of kind of going and like, oh, okay, well, this is, you know, because you said oddness. That was sort of like, for me, genuine oddness. This just doesn't feel very odd to me, you know? But, um, uh, and I am from, I don't know where he's from, but, you know, I sort of know what he's getting at. I'm from the Midwest. There's plenty of, you know, existential angst and, you know, the heartland and all that kind of thing. The other thing is, though, that also the painters that he would sort of tend to remind me of is also someone like Brian Alfred, who is very strongly tied. One of his people that he was sort of obsessed with is like Alex Katz. So I can kind of, it's not that I'm not familiar with this sort of, um, you know, vocabulary just on a formal level that he's going for. It just doesn't seem to sort of get there, you know, in terms of, I don't, I don't really think um, also the technique and the subject matter, they don't mesh. I mean, if we're going to do about drug-ridden, you know, miserable adolescents, let's go with Larry Clark. I mean, that really hits it, you know. Well, yeah, and yet Elizabeth, uh, you know, Rembrandt complained the crucifixion. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's, there can be great beauty. I just felt that subjects. there was something contrived about the whole, you know, the whole thing that it would be better if he would put all his eggs into those drawings and really get more into each one. Okay. So it would be a complete world in itself and not need these, you know, texts and, and sculpture. I think Mr. Bollinger might have got the message. Good. Let's, <laughs> um, let's proceed to our last show and uh, 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 Hearn. As you sat on that subway seat, did the earth move for you? It did jiggle around a good bit, yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I was interested in that show and um, had a little trouble putting the whole thing together, but um, I was uh, attracted to some of the pieces individually. Um, the, uh, I, I thought maybe the most successful part were the big uh, metal forms that, that seemed to have a dialogue among themselves and there was a little rhythm that got going and they would uh, interact. Um, and then uh, in total contrast to that was the box with the hologram inside of it that was super high tech and uh, emitted a very different kind of sound. Uh, so I kind of experienced this as a series of different things, and uh, you know it was intriguing. But um, I, I don't know if there's uh, the, the whole thing with the Pied Piper and his video and and his personal identity getting involved. I didn't uh, I didn't respond to that as much. Yeah, that added an interesting note, didn't it? Because we were otherwise in a in a territory of um, again to some as familiar as uh, tortured ad adolescents in the Midwest, but we're in the territory <laughs> of uh, noise as music, uh, noise as uh, the element uh, within, within, uh, within the culture, um, and, and, um, and, th and then we get um, a, sort of a cross-dressing artist um, uh, sort of sauntering around um, an aqueduct in the middle of uh, Rio de Janeiro. Um, Sao Paulo. No, it was Rio, no, because I said that and I got corrected. Oh, no, it's Rio. <laughs> no, I was there at Christmas, so I... Oh, so you remember that aqueduct? Very well. I was with some Chinese ladies who were suffering from um, uh, food poisoning and had to be rushed home, but I did get to see the aqueduct nonetheless. Um, but uh, so, um, nonetheless, where, whether... Well, uh, the, both cities are used to cross-dressers, but um, maybe in uh, sound art exhibitions in Chelsea, we're not, now that the... Uh, we, we've just... 
got so used to bears that we just don't mm. know what to do with cross-dressers. <laughs> um, I always know what to do with cross-dressers. <laughs> ah. <laughs> we'll discuss what that is later. But um, if you could uh, uh, tell us, what did you make of, uh, what did you make of uh, Sergei uh, Sharapnin's uh, ear tone box? I loved it. Um, I first I looked at the video and I really enjoyed the way he had himself dressed up in fishnets and a little girl dress and the headdress and he was just walking around this uh, you know there was nothing there was no camp there was it was just he happened to have this on and he was investigating this really spectacular aqueduct and picking up a little piece of this and seeing what it sounded like and rubbing it against a grate and then some guy comes along and takes his shirt off and puts on another shirt and I liked the video very much and um, I just thought that the whole show was wonderfully nonchalant and I, I liked the way he brought the outside world in. I mean to just go into a gallery and be confronted with a subway bench, that's unusual. And um, the uh, way he made the objects come alive by giving them voices. And they were all um, talking to each other and crisscrossing the room. I liked that. I liked the idea of get, sticking your head in the box and, and uh, also becoming a musical instrument. Um, basically, I thought it was great. Great. Well, uh, there was strange noises going off in that exhibition, and there's now strange noises going <laughs> off in this review panel. So we're, we're, uh, life is beginning to imitate art, which is just the way we like things. Um, uh, yeah, Martha, make sense of the show for me. Uh, well, I, I, this was my favorite show. I loved it, um, I, most of it. I have to say the video, eh, I don't know. But um, sort of going back to what the gentleman was asking or saying, I mean, in the early days uh, when I first started writing about art, I didn't used to talk to the people at the gallery very much because I was concerned that it would, you know, sort of taint my opinions. Now I don't care because they can try and convince me of anything, and I'm still going to say what I'm going to say. So um, I <laughs> was thinking this when we were talking about the Nalen Blake, that the guy working in the gallery actually said that I asked the most questions of you guys. <laughs> so, and I really drilled down on this one. I've actually seen um, Sergei Cherepnin play live a few times, so I've, I'm familiar with his performances. I believe this is his first show of works, and I was like a little concerned about how um, he was gonna sort of resolve this in terms of objects and space and sound. Um, uh, but I, I thought it was great. Um, and it's also sort of coming at an important moment. The, um, you know, MoMA's gonna do their first sound show in a few months, and apparently that bench is gonna be in the MoMA show. So, um, and uh, the guy Jacob at the gallery was telling me that uh, how, that he had to, right, to get it from the MTA, that bench, they had to somehow convince them, well, the bench will be at MoMA, so if you'll give us this bench. <laughs> Um, but, you know, it brought together a lot of things that I like. I do also have a background in music, so I'm a little bit, I'm very critical of that. This is somebody who's, you know, whatever, fourth generation composer or something, and his, I don't know, his grandfather worked with, um, you know, um, Diaghilev. Diaghilev. I mean, it's, you know, one of these kind of people, so... There's so a lot a, of, he can make as much noise as he likes. Though. Well, but there's a lot of pressure on the composition side as well. But I thought it was really pleasurable just to stand in the space and hear what he did with sound. 
Um, the other thing, just from a personal standpoint on the press release, it's talking about compression in MP3s. Um, the world of sound, in the same way we had this sort of performance thing, we're now having this like sound renaissance. I had just read this really fantastic book um, by a scholar named Jonathan Stern called MP3, History of a Format. And so the, the sort of like the way that this all came together with like a pretty a pretty good show in terms of, um, you know, the sound and the way, you know, you can sit on the sound, you can feel the sound, you can stick your head in the box and hear the sound, but it's also these intervals, so at one point it's coming out of the mirrors. Um, I, I just thought it was a good show in terms of um, objects and composition and um, the, the Pied Piper thing with the video was interesting on, you know, some level, but that was probably the weakest thing for me. Okay, right. Well, um, verdict I'm getting from you, Martha, but uh, uh, not to press you on it immediately, I, I want to try to understand what it means. I mean, I, I, had, I had fun. I liked being on the bench. Um, I uh, uh, taken back to Rio as well by the, by the, by the video. Um, uh, um, I, I mean, I love... Cage and Feldman and uh, anybody who wants to do anything odd with sound, just let me know, I'll be there. But uh, I, I still, when I see an art exhibition, um, I, I want a little bit more than fun um, or, uh, or just or sympathy or, or, uh, or to be able to pat someone on the back and say, yeah, this, this seems cool. I mean, I, I, I feel it needs to mean something. It needs to change my life. And um, I don't know what it means. Uh, Hearn. Do you know what it means? Well, I, I think the, uh, the, the, the theme was sort of this, the, the integration of the sound into the, uh, to everyday life and to ourselves and to our bodies. And uh, that this sort of dispersion of the idea from the concert hall where we normally experience music to a, to a, a more environmental context. And, uh, and certainly the way the whole room becomes a box at some points with the na noise that... Uh, I um, no, I could see the whole thing, and then the Pied Piper idea being, you know, the, the way it kind of ingratiates itself into the body. So we, you know, we physically experience these things. That uh, I, uh, you know, I could see a theme that that united these different uh, different things. I, I do feel like, in, in a way, it was. Uh, I did have a little trouble, you know, seeing them as a as a total. Um, you know, as I said, I, I experienced kind of different aspects of sound that I experienced in different, uh, you know, through the different installations. But um. well, you, I mean, you know, you can correct me if this has changed, but I think of you as a painting person, you know? Oh, uh, <laughs> I think of myself as a, a uomo universale. I but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, do I, like, mean, I do like painting, but I, I, I like sound art. I, I, I think the thing to, is, though. And I, like, I like music, um, uh, to correct that. Yeah. I do like music, and I do like experimental music, but. Um, and, and uh, I've written a lot about sculpture, uh, and so I don't feel, oh, of course I don't get uh, Sergei Jarepnin's uh, work, because I'm, you know, as Martha says, that painting person. No, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't, don't buy that. But. Well, I mean, I, I, you just don't get a whole lot of sound in, in uh, you know, in the 
in Chelsea. I mean, they're, they're sort of isolated instances. And again, going back to say that 1993 show, you know, and there's the Kristen Oppenheim work in there, you get very little of this. And so I think, you know, the whole point is we are in this thing, what, in terms of what it means, I, you know, I don't know, that's a tricky thing. But the thing is, in terms of the experience it creates, is it reminds you that you have a different sense other than just sort of looking and that it activates the space in a very different way than, you know, for instance, the Sylvie um, Fleury, which, you know, is sort of activated through color, you know. So that's the thing for me is that it is a kind of sound coloration of the space. And, um, you know, when I sat on that bench, I thought, gosh, I can't really remember too many works like this. You know, there's the Laurie Anderson one where there's the box and you put your... Um, um, your elbows on the box, and then when you do this, you hear the sound through your arm bones. Um, right. I, d I don't recall a whole lot of um, experiences of, you know, sitting on a bench and the sound vibrating up through my body. So it's a completely different experience, and I think part of what I enjoyed about it is that it sort of took me out of, you know, thinking um, of art in terms of, you know, purely sort of visual. Well, we get a lot of sound in video installation, and there's a tremendous amount of video in, in, in Chelsea. In fact, on the last panel, we, we reviewed uh, Knuts, Knarts, and, um, a, a Scandinavian name and... Uh, Icelandic. Uh, Icelandic name. That's not in Scandinavia anymore. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the rock musicians in that nice house in upstate New York um, at... Uh, 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 yeah, whatever. Okay, it's, shout out the name, someone. <laughs> you want me to look it up on the computer? Y yes. Yes. Okay, that'll do. Thank you. So we get plenty of sound. Uh, There's uh, a huge difference, though, sound and video. Usually the space is dark. With video, there tends to be some narrative or some you know, attempt to thwart narrative. I'm going to point out Lauren because she's a sound person, um, yes. and I just—it's just a different thing at work. So, uh, for me, that was exciting. Yeah, I think yeah. video is much more passive, also. Okay, okay. So, if suddenly uh, painting was banned for a hundred years, <laughs> and we came back nonetheless, and they, that somebody lifted the ban, and we'd had a hundred years of going to Chelsea and, and going to great sound exhibitions. And somebody <laughs> broke the sound barrier ha -ha, and did a show where there was paint and he'd um, put some paint. Would we look at it and say, well, it's just so refreshing to see paint? Or would we say, are these paintings any good? What's he painting? Why is he painting it? Uh, how's he painting it? You know, I, I, it seems to be a very odd sort of level of critical discourse to say that because we don't hear much sound, it's great just to hear some sound. And bravo for sound. I, I mean, okay, so you're using sound, but do something. What's he doing with it? What is he doing with the sound? What? I would say that he's sculpting with sound, and he makes that pretty explicit by putting it inside a box. But you've got sound coming <clears throat> from at least six different sources. You know, you've got mirrors. So you've got a sort of like alternating, um, I mean, what makes it different than... Um, you know, new music or sort of experimental music is that it does involve, you know, a sculptural element, but it has the same, I mean, it is composed. If you listen to it carefully, you can tell, you know, I, I mean, I was sort of at first I walked in and I thought it was kind of like psychoacoustic. No, it's not. It's actually from a synthesizer. But that, that's sort of part of, I mean, it's a kind of overlapping discourse in a sense. I mean, it's very close to composition. It just happens to be sculptural as well. I, 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 I guess 
I don't know. I mean, okay, so it, it means to me through being sculpture, being in a space, um, you know, having a relationship between objects, something that you're seeing visually, a cube, obviously, we've talked about the sort of art historical, um, you know, references and all the other work. I mean, there's a pretty, you know, but there are a lot of found objects here too, you know, yes. those uh, rain things, there's these kind of rusty things and then sound coming out from under them. Um, I guess what I'm, what I'm simply saying is I'm totally open and enthusiastic about the idea of, of, of uh, sculpting with sound. Uh, and um, I just want to know what he was sculpting with sound. Uh, you see, it's, it, it, just, it just needs to go forward. I mean, just um, if, he, if he said he was sculpting with metal, uh, we all seen so much sculpture with metal. We, don't, we want to say, well, what's he sculpting with metal, and does it work? And uh, uh, why did I like the way it worked? Uh, you can't say, oh, we just don't see enough metal. You would say, no, it works because of this formal relationship, and that moves on to that. That's what I'm saying. Well, what about John Cage? I mean, you could hear a John Cage piece. You know, what is that about? How would you do? No, you wouldn't say what it's about. You would say uh, the, the piece was compelling, and the middle section did this, and then da da da. Or you'd say, oh, it's, it was just uh, weird that it was all all over and flat, and it didn't do anything. But you you would you would you would analyze it in formal terms. Um, but this is very much. I, I feel like we're doing that, and you're saying we're not doing it. This is very much in the Cajun sort of tradition of mm -hmm. there being space and there yes. being sound and there being intervals. And using you know things. I mean, he doesn't use accident. He's not sort of in that. But it's mm -hmm. it's a very strong kind of post minimalism with sound. Yeah, and he uses um, natural sounds. And he uh, like the gallery was telling me that um, Janice was telling me that they are that you could hear the gallery phone ringing and and you know just various things that he transforms with the synthesizer. And. Um, it had a very quiet beginning, and then it got louder and louder. Yeah, it suddenly got pretty loud at one point with the box. Absolutely. And then you could put your box, the head, my head in the box, and I took my head out of the box when it was the loudest point, and I really felt like the music was continuing to come out of my head. Right. Yeah, I, apart, I, I must say I really love the, uh, the subway seat. I mean, the... Uh, uh, to, to, I mean, we, we, do, we do too much work with our eyes, and to, to have a, an aesthetic experience with your uh, posterior is actually... Uh, uh, I, guess, I guess I could say that uh, um, yeah, the, the, the subway seat brought out the inner bear in me. So uh, let's hear uh, from our audience. And, and, if, and if I would just say that if, if you have comments on Matt Bollinger, they, they should be positive and challenge the, and, and challenge the panel. I, we don't, I don't think at this point need more uh, critique, uh, negative, uh, critical critique of uh, uh, Bollinger, but happy to hear on either show. So you guys brought up um, the uncanny in the Salon 94. Uh, show, and I wanted to know exactly what you meant by the uncanny. Did you meant that the symbols were so you were so used to seeing them that it was uncanny to see them all in one place? Um, because I thought this last show that we were talking about had a sense of the uncanny, of this sort of repetition, but you were sort of disoriented. You were sort of lost, and it had a the Cherico sort of feel with these, when he was wondering mm. the columns. Oh, definitely. Um, and then, you know, you guys really never touched on, or maybe you did, but the sort of theatricality of you sitting 
on the subway bench and watching other people experience, um, you know, the show, which is something you never really do. You know, usually you're looking at a painting when somebody comes, you move. Um, so can you guys, yeah, address that, perhaps? Yeah. Um, we, what, what do we really mean by the uncanny? And is there not an element of the uncanny uh, in those sort of De Chirico moments in the video, in uh, Shurepnin, or in, uh, in the uh, exhibition at large? Um, well, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, you know, just in the simplest sense, that the uncanny is the familiar made unfamiliar. The Sylvie Fleury wasn't uncanny enough for me, I mean, at all. I didn't think it was very uncanny. I, you know, and you mentioned, um, what's his name? Robert Gober, I mean, that's, you know, that's the sort of, like, mm. stereotypical at this point. You know, he's the kind of, like, paradigm for the uncanny in the early 90s, or, you know, what's your name? Um, sorry, I'm saying that. I'm <laughs> overextended. Uh, Kiki Smith. But um, I agree with you that this had an uncanniness just because the seeing the subway bench removed from somewhere. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of associations with those subway benches that, you know, that a lot of times there's some kind of mess you need to avoid or something like that. So I, I completely agree with you on that, that there was a sort of uncanniness with it, so. I disagree. <laughs> I didn't think it was uncanny at all. I thought it was very intimate and cozy. The, 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 uh, the Chirapnin? Yes. Yes, right. But I think the uncanny in Sylvia Fleury uh, that was not, was not uh, profoundly uncanny. It's just that the huge, uh, <laughs> Uh, razor blade sort of recalled the for me um, the uh, outsized um, utensils uh, that it's in a Magritte painting the title of which I do not recall but it's uh, you have a, a, a cramped claustrophobic domestic room and then these humongous uh, shaving brush and uh, comb and bar of soap or something that's all yeah um, yeah further comments uh, audience uh, great. Okay, I'm going to defend this Matt guy. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I went and saw his show, and I was really intrigued, actually. Um, I saw these collage pastel things as um, classical, like a classical space um, in a younger generation, younger than me, maybe a disillusioned generation, but I didn't even look at the subject matter. That would be, for me, looking at, like, Gober, subject matter as, as what he's painting. So I saw this space, um, almost like Jasper John's space maybe, um, and a new generation approaching flatness. Um, and I was intrigued by these um, like deteriorating frescoes almost. The paper seemed to me to be a reference to flatness and not in an in incidental way, but in a young mind, a person maybe not who knows themselves yet. And then going around the corner into this room with these uh, writings, you know, it felt like an antechamber, like a place where you would find yourself, maybe, you know? And maybe I couldn't enter into that work, you know? Um, but it felt intimate. There felt a very flat, whispery space in there to me. And, um, and you know, maybe I'm influenced a little bit by I'm reading The Great Gatsby, or I was reading it because it was on the radio. And um, in that work, there's a lot of disillusionment, but there is a whispery air in a classical space. And it's a very thin, poetic, but flatness. And I felt it 
in the pastel qualities in, in the work. And I didn't see any of the, um, like, the, I didn't really believe or see the milieu of the milieu of the the grunginess, as you were saying, that really hit uh, that hit Elizabeth hard. You know, I didn't even notice it. So that's how I that's how I took um, the beginning of a voice. I felt it hit me. It actually hit me that showed it. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. And it's great to have uh, sometimes a, a fifth wheel in the in the uh, in in the audience that can. Uh, provide um, the positive element to go with the uh, harsher critique that emerges from the desk. Great. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, the, the sound piece. Uh, I, I don't think uh, it might be a mistake to look for the meaning of it. And I'm speaking only, though, as a, uh, a non-professional. Uh, for me, it was a matter of intensification of sound. And I discovered um, that the sound was worth listening very carefully to. And when you listen very carefully, you would hear a plaintive sound sometimes. Sometimes it's very dramatic. Sometimes it's playful. It's just extremely complicated. And it, it intensifies your sense of sound. And actually, it, it transforms you a little bit when you leave the space, because you hear differently. So that's what I found to be wonderful about the piece. And with regard to the Bollinger, I felt touched by his adolescent angst, and I felt something universal in it. I was quite, and I came from the Sylvie show, which I found oppressive, too much like the pathology we suffer in life. And I walked into this show, and I felt like, well, this is somebody who's making a gesture in another way, and I felt moved by it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll just say while someone's raising their hand, the other show downtown that I saw after seeing these was this one, Martin Roth um, at Lewis B. James, and there are all these birds in cages in the basement. So it's an interesting, you know, alongside this very sort of, you know, composed cultural sound. I first walked down, and it's, you know, it's on Orchard Street. But I, I walked down there and I said, oh, it's a pet store. And then I ended up staying for like a really long time. And then I went back upstairs and I said, wow, you must be really relaxed. And he said, I'm so relaxed. And then there's a live feed of it that you can hear through the computer. And then in other galleries, people were listening to it. So it's a sort of a sound moment. And it's also a really nice, um, I mean, I can show you afterwards if you want it. I have the press release here. But it's sort of interesting, these like bird sounds and then um, up in Chelsea, the much more composed sounds. But um, I think, you know, maybe also with the Matt Bollinger, I, you know, I saw these other two shows. And, it's, you know, sometimes that's what happens is you see something alongside. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, is there a last comment from the audience? Otherwise, um, actually, what Martha just did is what we uh, did uh, at the last panel, uh, which was... Uh, uh, a, a moment to be able to shout out for another show, and if you, if is your, is that the show that if, if uh, Martin? That's my show, Martin, Martin Roth, Roth at Lewis B. James. Lewis B. It's, B. James. The, it's the shout out show that Martha Schwendener adds to the the <laughs> roster that we've discussed here at the panel. Uh, sorry to, uh, without warning, impose it on on uh, my other co-panelists, but 
uh, Hearn visiting from California is a, a show that's really struck you. Uh, you're allowed to mention your wife's if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I, it's funny in terms of sound. I, I, I been at the Mary Lucier show at, at Lennon Weinberg before yeah. I went over to uh, the sound show and I was uh, interested in, in her uh, the, the sort of endless thing she loops around and around and around you right. can sit there forever listening to this for your precious love thing going on and on but it was it was fascinating and uh, yes I love that so. show too at Lennon Weinberg I told her she's the uh, the thinking man's Bill Viola um, <laughs> and um, Elizabeth Clay is a show that you'll uh, single out uh, as, as, as a must-see show that we haven't discussed Only this two days left. Thomas Lanigan Schmidt at PS1 is really sublime. Fantastic. Well, once you've crossed the river, make your way up to Williamsburg and make sure you see Sarah Walker at Pierogi. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. See you in June.